I know it felt like 10 o'clock in the morning when you came, but it's got to at least feel like 7 o'clock at night right now. And uh, I was praying this morning, God, people are going to come in with sleepy seeds in their eyes and all groggy, and I prayed you wake them up. I don't know why we meet at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning, but uh, we do. And it's not a time where we're all eager to hear things uh, most of the time. But thank God we have a worship team, kind of like the Levites used to do, that would be out in front of the army and would go before us at the tip of the spear and just usher us into God's presence and usher God's presence to us. Isn't it such a beautiful thing to have this praise team do that today? And he inhabits the praises of his people, his word says. And I think he inhabited your praises today. I think he loved to nest in your praises today and found a home. Jesus, this is your home. You are our guest of honor and we love you. You're welcome here. Have your way in this place today, God. Have your way in our hearts, Jesus. There's no time to lose. You're special to us, Jesus. Where would we be without you, Lord? I love his presence. I love his love. We are singing that song last night, and for some reason, I thought about being a kid and going to a Syracuse basketball game against St. John's. I was in the Carrier Dome in Syracuse, New York. That's where I grew up, New York. And uh, you, can, you can take the boy from New York, but you can't take the New York from the boy. I grew up in upstate New York. I didn't talk like a New Yorker. I always wish I was from Brooklyn or something cool like that. And, but I am Spanish, part Spanish. My grandpa was Spanish and came over to New York, um, immigrated here. And so my mom's half Spanish and I'm quarter Spanish. It was like cocker spaniel, but quarter Spanish, yeah. <laughs> so I got a little New York in there. But I just remember the first time I went as a boy and somebody started the wave. Anybody been in a stadium where the wave, just raise your hand. If you've been a part of that, you know, oh man. And I remember being swept up in that wave. It's kind of like Sarah said, where a flame catches fire. You get caught up in that. And there is a rush to that. It's powerful. You can see it coming around and you're just like, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. Woo! You know, and it just flies by. It's a part of the wave. It's a part of the wave. But it went away and um, it felt bad for the players. We weren't really thinking about them during the wave. It was just all about us at that point. But uh, all of a sudden there was a group of people around me and they wanted to start the wave. And I was right next to the guy that was talking to people in the rows around him, like, we're going to go, let's all go together. And he goes up and only like 10 of us go up and everyone's looking at us like, what's your problem? <laughs> and then those people said, and got it about 10 feet down the road and you start and it goes and dies and goes and dies until finally it catches and everybody's doing it. And I realized in that moment, it is way more fun to create the wave than be caught up in the wave. 
It's a lot harder though. You look stupid for a little bit. Because what you're trying to do is create commotion or start a stir that distracts people and attracts them to what you're doing and gets them like buying into the mission or the cause. And there was something about being there and starting the wave and watching it go around the stadium and just feeling like, we did that. We started that. It started small. Just a little remnant of people that believed something and it started to spark and to spread. Don't you want to be a part of something where you just don't sort of get caught up in a wave, but you create the wave? I do. Our, our series Remnant, I found this graphic several months ago, not necessarily the graphic, we have graphic artists that do that, but this picture. And what came to my mind when I thought of Remnant is just a group of people that pull away from the fray and get around a fire and remind each other who they are and listen and purpose themselves for mission again. And a lot of preaching is just reminding people of what they already know. It's just, you already know this, but I'm gonna remind you again who you are, who he is, and what the mission is. And without a remnant being pulled together, it can be lost very, very quickly. The word remnant means what is left. What's left? Particularly what remains after a a battle or a great calamity. What's left? That's the remnant. It can also be translated a small part or a portion. I've been asking that question a lot over the last year, like who's going to remain? When all is said and done, when the calamity strikes and continues to strike and the battle continues to be waged, who's going to tuck tail and run? Who's going to stay? What's going to be left when the dust settles? The remnant. All through the scriptures, they went through calamity, adversity. They went through resistance, persecution, and the remnant remained. I'm praying for Afghanistan as I get letters from pastors who know they're being hunted and they're gonna die, they literally are preparing to see Jesus. They know it's the end. I'm praying for the remnant, that they'll stay true and devoted to the very end. It seems almost unfair for us to gather with such overwhelming freedom in this place today when our brothers and sisters across the world are just literally hunkered down and clinging to Jesus with everything they've got. If we could have a mustard seed of that faith today. The remnant. It seems like what is left came to Jesus' mind when he was beginning his ministry and a bunch of people came in because he had this feeding program and everybody wanted food and 4,000 gathered. And then he said, you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And he didn't say it just once. He said it three times. And he was saying, you got to eat me. I'm not just sort of a taste tested kind of guy. You you don't get to just kind of get up to the smorgasbord and to the buffet and take what you want. You got to eat all of me or none of me. And the people knew exactly what he meant because they said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? 
And they all fled and 12 remained. And he said, will you leave me too? And they said, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. And we owe everything to Jesus and those 12. And they went back and forth and up and down just like we do, but they remained to the end and all but one of them was martyred for their faith. It's been said the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. It is that kind of commitment, devotion that we, we revel in, we, we watch and it inspires us like, God, would I be so brave, so bold? A thought occurred to me last week <clears throat> and I was with my mom. Uh, she lives over in Pontiac, <clears throat> excuse me. And for about a month and a half, she's been wanting to plant a tree for my dad in remembrance of him and his death in uh, May. Some of you don't know, my dad passed away. And so she's been, every time we get on the phone, it's all about the tree. And when you get older, sometimes it's all about just one thing every time you talk on the phone. And mom, I know you're listening today. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Philena Holdridge is my mom's name. I just looked it up this last week and it means lover of all mankind. Whew. That's who she is. So the lover of all mankind, I went out to see her and uh, we went out and we got a tree for the lover of all mankind and the lover of crimson maple trees. And we got that crimson maple and we planted it in the back and I stayed overnight. And the next morning she said, Jay, I want to show you something. I want you to watch church. And it was a VHS tape. Anybody remember what those are in this place? Maybe half of you. Um, it kind of went like this and it went through and uh, you held it like this, like a, you know, on your shoulder to tape your kids' games. Um, and it up popped a church service of where I grew up, my little church, Southwest Oswego Baptist Church on the sign. It was the lighthouse on the hill. And there was about 60 to 80 people that came to the church and there was this one service and we watched and I got to see my pastor, Pastor Pirelli, who's since passed. And then there was this portion where we were singing a song and it just struck me where I came from and what I've come through to become who I am. And I wanted to show you just one verse of our, they have song leaders back then. Do you know what I'm talking about? We have worship leaders. They had song leaders, somebody kind of keeping everybody like this. Well, this guy didn't do it traditionally. This guy oozed with passion. Warren Simmons, check this out. Here he goes. I hadn't seen that for over 30 years. 
And when I saw that, do you know how sometimes you remember your past incorrectly, either for the negative or the positive? One thing I've remembered my past negatively for is this little fundamental conservative church that was sort of oppressive and legalistic. And what hit me like a ton of bricks is the passion that I saw in that church, how they sang, how they loved Warren Simmons. I mean, he was having seizures up there. It was like, wow. That was the same guy who was singing special music one time and a fly was circling around his head and he was like, ah! and the fly went right back and hit the punching bag in the back of his mouth. It was awesome. And he's like, it was great. Um, I don't remember much at church. I remember that night and we had a good laugh over that. Warren Simmons, he took me out when I was in high school, asked me if I would go soul winning with him. And so we went out door to door, knocking on doors like Jehovah's Witnesses. And we'd have the door slammed in our face, people cursing at us, sometimes inviting us into their home, praying over people, leading people to Christ. I am not an accident. I'm a product of something like that, that kind of passion, not random selection, the fruit of uh, human fate or just the result of mere chance and happenstance. No, I've, I've come through something and I've come from somewhere. And that little band of Christ followers cinched together in Oswego and acted to preserve me as salt and propel me as light. And I owe so much of who I am to this passionate assemblage in this tiny remnant in a town called Southwest Oswego. After I watched that, I wrote something called The Remnant. We are less than half aware of how much of who we are is indebted to the past remnant. Those who held on, those who held true, those who held together when life was crumbling all around them. Life can be cruel and unusual, a punishment that purifies, setting apart the sanctified, lonely souls starving for a trusted tribe, a place and a people made alive and kept ablaze by bonds of devotion, devout and stout disciples. The remnant speaks of who's left when all's said and done. What's left when the dust settles, when push comes to shove, all burned as chaff but love, and not the love of cheap emotion, but an affection born of bloodshed, a life laid down for one's friends. And there is no greater love, so says Jesus himself. This charge stands apart and alone as the clarion call of the Christian, the battle cry of the king and the kingdom. And who will heed or answer heaven's appeal who will rally the remnant again the keepers of the flame the lord is always summoning pockets of people to gather to stir up embers in each other that are cold and cooling under the ash needing fanned again into flame deep calling to deep community clustering together as one to brave the danger and doubt and preserve that which is priceless the gospel of god's grace we raise the banner the standard, mustering the people of God, huddled masses of humans he so loves, lost in a sea of sullen faces, needing called out and called up into the threadbare remnant, hanging by a thread some days, but hanging nonetheless for dear life. And it is that dear life that keeps us holding on, hands cramped in the clutching. It's what keeps us searching for sunken ships lost at sea. For to find the shipwreck is to find the sunken treasure buried within the remains of a human heart brought back to the saving surface. Crown jewels, pearls of great price, salvaged souls found and freed. Oh, to be a part of the remnant. 
the humble huddled, the ones tasked with a mission to be a compass and carry the keys of the kingdom and the honor of its high king. Life has always required a remnant, a collection of willing hearts, guardians of the glorious gospel have come to take its charge, both personally and seriously, laying down their lives to band together around Jesus. He is the timeless tie that binds. Lord, we raise up your remnant today. We want in. We want you. A perfect example of the remnant comes to my mind is Leonidas and the 300 Spartans who fought at the Battle of Thermopylae. I was doing some reading on this. It's just extraordinary. This guy leading these people into this pinch point and fighting countless thousands and not claiming victory, but dying with honor, the few, the proud. Lord Byron said this of that group, earth render back from out thy breast a remnant of our Spartan dead. Of the 300, grant but three to make a new Thermopylae. God has always raised up small bands of people, these remnants to advance his cause and his kingdom in the midst of a world caught up in chaos. Noah and his family, Abraham and his family, Joseph and his family, Ruth and her family, Moses and his family, Esther and her family, Job and his family. And though it may seem like a fairly rare subject, the idea of remnant is found over 540 times throughout 91 passages of scripture in the Old and New Testament. I wanna show you a couple to show you how the word is employed by the scriptures, sometimes of a person, sometimes of people. Genesis 45, Joseph speaking to his brothers after being in Egypt, sold by them to Egypt as a slave for 13 years. He said, but God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God in his providential plan, he used them to get him where he belonged to preserve a remnant so that that group could live and 70 of them could live there and grow to hundreds and thousands. And over the course of many years, millions of people in Egypt only to be called out of Egypt into the promised land. And Jews still exist today because of Joseph preserving a remnant in Egypt. Hezekiah was leading the people while they were under the rule and oppression of the Assyrians. We know Nehemiah rebuilding the walls of, of Jerusalem, but Ezra went with him as the priest who rebuilt the temple in Jerusalem. And he said this, once more a remnant of the kingdom of Judah, actually that wasn't Hezekiah, that's, that's somebody else, that's Ezra later on in the, the, servant, uh, the message, but Hezekiah said this, once more a remnant of the kingdom of Judah will take root below and bear fruit above. I love that phrase. For out of Jerusalem will come a remnant and out of Mount Zion, a band of survivors and the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. That's like the prayer of my heart this week has been that prayer that God would call a remnant out and that we would bear fruit above by taking root below. That something would take root down here to bear fruit that lasts forever. 
that salvation and deliverance would come produced by what? The zeal of the Lord, the ardent passion of our God accomplishing this through his people who are called out, bearing their roots deep and bearing fruit above. God, deepen our roots today. Expand the fruit of what you want to do in this place. God always worked with remnants, these little bands of people like you and me looking to follow God in obscurity and even absurdity. These remnants had familiar characteristics as I studied how they formed and functioned to accomplish God's purposes in the world. As I was spelunking through the caves and caverns of the Bible this past week, a few stories surfaced that showcased how a remnant forms and the ways that remnant salvages and saves first a person and then a people. It reminded me of some of my favorite movies like Braveheart. Well, William Wallace gathered together some Scots and though they were small in number, they defeated the enemy. Or, you know, Braveheart was followed up with Gladiator and you have Maximus that was raising up people and fighting against Rome for Rome. And then one of my favorites is The Patriot. Again, Mel Gibson is in that one. And when I love this militia gathered in a swamp around the fire, didn't have all the uniforms, just a ragtag you know, group of um, misfits. And he gathered them together out in the swamp and they were literally melting lead toys into buck and ball out there to fight for their freedom. These stories remind me of the stories I'm gonna share with you from the scriptures. The first one is found in Judges, a guy that doesn't get a lot of play time. I thought, this guy is so awesome. Judges 11, it says, Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty warrior. His father was Gilead, his mother was a prostitute. See, we all have something in our story that we would see as disqualifying or an impediment to us being the mighty warrior. And Gilead's wife also bore him sons, and when they grew up, they drove Jephthah away. You're not going to get any of our inheritance, they said, because you're the son of another woman, a harlot. So Jephthah fled from his brothers and settled in the land of Tob, where a group of adventurers gathered around him and followed him. I feel like the lion's share of my life, I've been searching for a group of adventurers, men, women, and children, that will do crazy things together. Only the crazy people just are adventurous. In fact, this, this word here, adventurers, is translated in the Hebrew scoundrels. I'm looking for a group of scoundrels that'll gather together. It's crazy, right after this story, the same brothers that kicked him out because he was a mighty warrior and these people gathered around him and fought next to him. When they came into war, they were scared, peeing down their leg and they came back to Jephthah and said, oops, we need you back. Will you lead our army? And he's like, are you the same one that kicked me out of the house and out of the home and out of the nation? And he made him kind of grovel a little bit and then he came back and kicked butt. I think there are Jephthahs in this room. I think there are people that come from a heritage and a legacy that isn't much to write home about. You look back at the stock you come from and it ain't gray stock. In fact, you might right now be facing some sort of rejection 
and you might feel like an outcast even in your own home. And yet the passage says who you are by way of identity, regardless of the identity of your household, you're not the son of a prostitute. You're a mighty warrior in God's eyes. And he has a plan for your life. But when you're, you're fleeing and you're cast away and you're going and finding a place, place as kind of a person who's like a, a renegade, yes, and, and scoundrels gather around you and, and you're running for your life as a refugee, God has always had his eyes on people like that and he gathers adventures around them and he makes something out of nothing. Let me tell you right now, if I'm talking to you and you think, man, I come from a background that's so broken, so messed up, I'm in the middle of something right now, I'm the person who messed up my family, I'm the dad who left, I'm the dad who got abandoned, I'm the wife who messed up, I'm the kid who's messed up my family, I'm the one who's running away, a wayward child, I'm telling you right now, God can bring you together, but it always takes a remnant to gather around you and a band of adventurers at that. Does anybody want to be at Impact Church in this small little town out in the sticks of Kent County? You want to be a band of adventurers? I said, do you want to be a band of adventurers? One thing I do not want to lead is a bunch of people who sit soaking sour in nice cushioned seats and go home. I want them to know their adventures and they're part of a band of adventurers that gathers around them and fans that into flame. I'm not interested in dead Christianity. I'm not interested in some foregone, like, passionate, miracle-working God, revelation God, revival God back there. I want it now, but it takes people banding together and saying, we're not going to stop adventuring for God. We're going to put our necks out. We're going to live right on the edge, Hacksaw Ridge. We're going to live on Hacksaw Ridge as a church. That's a nice golf clap. That doesn't sound like adventures, but I'll take it. That's who we're going to be. Do you have a group of adventurers around you? Do you have an adventurous heart looking for other people to surround and breathe life into them when they're full of doubt and fear and hesitation? When they're recoiling? Just say, hey, no, 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 no. We're going that way. We're going that way. And buddy, you're a mighty warrior whether you feel like it or not. And you're worthy of leading us because I know your deep, true heart. Now get back on the front line, buddy. The next story, I started looking at this gathered around phrase and I found this one, 1 Samuel 22, 1 and 2. David, man after God's own heart, left Gath and here's another guy escaping for his life for 12 years from Saul to the cave of Adullam. That'd be a great name for a small group. Anybody have a man cave here? This is the man cave. The cave of Adullam. And look at the group of people he attracted. And when his brothers and father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. And all those who were in distress, in debt, or discontented gathered around him. And he became their commander. About 400 men were with him. If I was out planting a church, those are not the three Ds of who I'd want to be gathering around me to run special ops right but you take what you can get and this is what I've loved about God all along he's, he's always using the broke and the broken 
and saying, you got something of value, bring it to the table. You may not be where you wanna be now, but if we gather together in this cave and we start breathing life into each other, we can become something great. What's awesome about this group of people is if you read on in 2 Samuel 23, these became the mighty men of David. The mighty men, stories of a one guy that went down in a pit and killed a lion on a snowy day. Another one's name, get this name if you want to name your next son this, Joshabashabeth. Joshabashabeth was one and he killed 800 Philistines in one encounter all by himself. I don't know if he came in in debt or discontented or distressed, but he had his life built into by other men and, and they started seeing something in him, called out something to him. This guy, Joshabashabeth, was Joshabashabeth your skull end guy. And then it was Eleazar. And Eleazar was one of these guys. And he fought with David out in the field and everyone else fled in the army. And he fought back to back with David so hard that his hand froze to his sword, it says in the scriptures. And the third one was Shammah. And Shammah fought in the field of lentils when everybody left. He stayed in the field of lentils and fought. And then after he had obtained victory, everybody came back. All the warriors came back to take the loot and to plunder the spoils of what he fought for. See, that's in these stories, the people that stay standing were these guys. The rest of the army would flee and they'd only come back in order to get the spoil of what somebody else fought for. I don't want to be that guy. You're not that guy. You're not that guy. I see that on TikTok all the time. You're not that guy. I want to be the guy that stands back to back, once discontent, once discouraged, once indebted, but now through the company of other people in a man cave, awakened to the glory of God, set alive inside the human heart. There's more in you than what you could ever imagine. If you will but get with a remnant of people to call it out in them and allow them to call it out in you. This next story is Ezra, the guy I got confused with Hezekiah a second ago. Ezra 10. It says, while Ezra was praying, the priest was praying and confessing, weeping and throwing himself down before the house of God. He's praying for the church. He was praying for the, the temple of God. A large crowd of Israelites, men, women, and children were in this remnant, gathered around him. There you see it again. And they too wept bitterly. I love it. This guy is filled with contrition, humility, repenting over sins, throwing himself in front of the temple and saying, we have sinned as a nation. And on their behalf, he was an advocate before God saying, God, please, please forgive us. And other people, they too got on their knees and wept bitterly. And boy, do we need people when we're feeling like God's stirring up something inside of us to say, he's stirring that up in me too. I'm sick of sin too. I'm snapping over people's disobedience and rebellion too. I'm feeling that burn with you too, man. Me too. They too wept bitterly. Then Shechaniah, son of Jael, man, I hate these names in the Bible. One of the descendants of Elam said to Ezra, listen to this. We have been unfaithful to our God by marrying foreign women from the peoples around us. But in spite of this, he says to Ezra, there is still hope. For Israel. Rise up. This matter is in your hands. We will support you. So take courage and do it. I've never seen this verse before and I've read through the Bible countless times. Isn't the Bible awesome because it's alive? 
that based on what you're going through, you see new things you never saw when you weren't going through what you're currently going through. And I don't know about you, but I need somebody in my life on almost a daily basis to tell me when I'm downtrodden and I'm down for the count and I'm just writhing around and I'm feeling hopeless and demoralized to say, there is still hope. Rise up. I love what you say, rise up. This matters in your hands means you got this. We're with you. Be strong. You can do it. How many of you need somebody to say, hey, there's still hope. Rise up. You got this. I'm with you. Be strong. You can do it, bro. You can do it. That's killer. All of you should owe me a hundred bucks just for that TED Talk motivational speech right there. I found this. I went mining for this, panning for gold. That's gold right there. That's a gold rush. That's a vein of gold right there that you need pumped into your veins every day. There is still hope, people. So rise up. You got this. You got this. I'm with you. We're with you. Be strong and courageous. You got this, man. You got this, woman. Brethren and sisters. <laughs> it doesn't stink for the sisters out there that they're sistering. You got this. And this gathering around, have you seen it in the last three verses? This is different than just gathering. Today we're just gathering. But if you don't move from just gathering in a row, pointing one direction, that one person monologuing every week, you're not going to have the kind of remnant strength that you need to face the world that I'm in every day. You better get on an email thread. You better get on a message thread. You better have somebody checking in with you, you know, often. I know Blake down here, he's good with Brock. And we got a, a group of homies that we just encourage each other online. Sometimes Blake will just send me over some Christian rap in the morning and it just gets my blood flowing and I'm kicking it. Man, somebody's spitting bars into my heart. I love it. I need it. And then he sends, after he sends that to me, he sends two swords crossed like this. Come on, brothers, we got this. And it's not just for men. We need Guinevere's out there too. We need Deborah's out there too. We need Esther's out there too. We need Ruth's out there too. We need people. I was going to say Dorcas in the New Testament, which she's, she's an awesome woman, but I hate that name. In our Baptist church, one of the things the women would gather together, guess what their name was called? It wasn't the Cave of Adullam. It was the Dorcas Circle. I'm like, I don't, I don't know any woman worth her salt that would go to that thing. But they did, because they wanted to be dorks. We need guys and gals, and we need teenagers in this place, and young people in this place, to realize that a lot of what took place in the Bible was through the youth. The youth created revival. The youth rose up. The youth showed the adults what was up. The youth heard from God like Samuel. Eleazar was a youth and Moses and Aaron were just in numbers, just, I think it's numbers 25, scared to death. And he rose up and pierced a couple through while they were having sex in a tent because nobody would listen to God's command to not intermingle with the nations. And so he went and made shish kebabs out of a couple, a youth. Nobody's read that because it's in the book of Numbers, but it's, it's in there. 
And I'm just the kind of joker that finds those little nuggets of truth because that's what keeps me... When I was young, I was like, that's so in the Bible. (laughs) Youth, you're heading back to school. We need you in this church so bad. We need you in this community so bad. And you need to look at your friends and say, we got to start gathering around each other. When you face things and temptation, I'm going to be there for you. And you can call me at night when you're, you're facing temptation at some party or you want to just curse a blue streak or you want to kind of smoke a doobie or you want to go do something with your friends. You call me, you let me know. I'll be with you, sis. I'll be with you, bro. We got to gather around each other. We got to marshal our energy and our forces because God's summoning the army and we want to be there for the call. Gathering around each other. I know gathering is like taking a hit this last year. It still is taking a hit. It's going to take a hit. Something about being in a place with real people that you're gathering with, that you can see their eyes and their face and their presence. We need the gathering around. The remnant needs the gathering around. When we worship God, it's different when we're doing it on a Skype or on Zoom. Would you agree? We can zoom ourselves into oblivion if we're not careful. We got to gather around. It's great to have the online option, but the on-site option is what the Bible was all about because they gathered around. It's only when you're gathering around that you can see the hollow look in somebody's eyes, that you can tell they're talking to you and they're using the same words, but the tone is not the same. That's when you can read the room. That's when you can feel the heartbeat of God moving through his body, which is the church. We will gather, but we must go further than that. We must gather around each other to say, there's still hope. Rise up. You got this. We're with you. Take courage. You can do it. Do you hear God saying that to you today? God's word, God's spirit saying that to your heart, your starving, parched heart today. Believe it. It's true. And we read this a couple weeks ago. You moved into the New Testament. It says, then some Jews came from Antioch and Ionium, won the crowd over. And they stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city and then thinking he was dead. But after the disciples, what? They gathered around him and he got up and went back into the city. I'm just telling you, when you're on mission and you're getting pummeled, if you don't have somebody that gathers around you and says, get up and go back, I just wonder if God, these, these people like Jephthah or David or Ezra, or Paul, if they didn't have people gathered around them, would they even have survived physically, let alone spiritually? I can tell you this year, there there are times where all by myself, my lizard brain and the dark speech of the enemy is just telling me, dude, there, there is no hope. You're just, you're, you're talking to a brick wall. It's just oblivion, man. Nothing you're doing is making a difference. It's gonna, you're going down. Things are going to fall apart. It doesn't matter anymore. 
The troops are fleeing. The battle's lost. Who do you think you are? You've got nothing, man. You got no message. I heard it this morning. You did it last night. You can't do it again. It's too early in the morning. You're too groggy. I hear it and I have to shout back to it. No, no. But when I come in and Ryan or John and in the office and I walk in, how you doing, buddy? How's it going? How'd it go? How'd you feel last night? Man, I love this part. I love this part. You got this. We're behind you. You know how much you need that? And some of you here, I want to talk to you are like, I don't need anybody gathering around me. I don't want anybody gathering around me. I'm fine on my own. I'm a self-made man. I got it. I'm doing just fine. I don't believe you. Number one. But has it ever occurred to you, even for a split nanosecond, that it isn't just about you? What if you got to gather around somebody else? What if somebody needs you? What if it's not just, I don't need that, but what if somebody needs you? to gather around them and you didn't show. And because you were a no-show, that person stayed on the ground and didn't get back up. I think about that all the time. What are the divine appointments out there that God has for me? These coordinated efforts of God and where do I fall in the plot of God's story so that I can be gathered around and I can do the gathering around somebody else and say, you got this. I was, a girl was sitting on the table, uh, this young woman, and I was coming out after a, a day of work and I saw her there and usually I would just kind of wave, say hi and walk by and I just turned and she was right there and she talked to me and it was just a normal conversation and I felt in my spirit, God say, tell her she has a beautiful heart. And I just looked at her when it felt like it was appropriate. And I was like, I just feel like God is telling me to tell you, you have a beautiful heart. And she just wept. It's like, you don't know how bad I needed to hear that. I said, he knows. And I'm glad I was here and just happened to just walk by your life at just the right time. So even if you're like, I don't need anything right now, I'm good, man, back off. What if somebody needs you to press in? Because it goes both ways. And then in your time of need, When you weren't in need, but now you are, you'll have a group of people that will rush to your cave and gather around you. Being a part of the remnant, man, is a place where broken remnants of your very heart are pieced back together and made strong in the company of community. Community is the cure. It says in 2 Chronicles, who God's looking for, the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those who whose hearts are fully committed to him. He's looking back and forth like Kit in Knight Rider. Anybody know what I'm talking about? All of you over 40. Yeah, he's looking, man. And he's looking for whose hearts are fully committed, the remnants of people. Who's down there? Who's, Who's committed? Who's faithful? I'm looking for those people and I'm there to strengthen those hearts whose hearts are committed to me. I saw this quote this week. You always had abundant love for the remnants. No doubt why I remained one. It just seems like something. They're referring to God. It's abundant love through the scriptures. 
I love in Zechariah says the same thing about the eyes of the Lord ranging through the earth. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might nor by power, but my, my spirit. You've heard that, right? Says the Lord, who dares despise the day of small things? Since the seven eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth and he'll rejoice when they see the chosen capstone in the hand of Zerubbabel. It's like, wow, so much there. These eyes of God ranging throughout the earth. And he's saying, don't despise the day of small things. Anybody who starts anything has to start small. Whatever remnant inside of your heart is left, that ember is what he's blowing on today. And he will blow and fan it into flame. Do not despise or look down on whatever small inside of your heart. He can make something awesome out of that. And not by might nor by power, but by his spirit animating that. Man, the seven eyes of God just looking, ranging through the earth to find a remnant. Oh, to be a part of the remnant, the humble keepers of the flame, the ones tasked with a mission to be a compass and carry the keys of the kingdom and the honor of its high king. Life has always required a remnant, a collection of stalwart hearts, guardians of the glorious gospel who have come to take its charge, both personally and seriously, laying down their lives to band together around Jesus. He's the timeless tie that binds. Lord, raise up your remnant. We want in. We want you. As we leave today, I was thinking about the carrier dome that I told you about, after the wave was done, you would leave it. And because the dome had to be like kept up with air, it would be pressurized. And the most fun thing was when you'd walk out the doors and it would blow you out the doors. As a kid, I just keep going back in to go around the revolving doors to be blown out the doors. And there was something about leaving the wave that you were caught up into at the game. And when you leave the doors, like, whoa! And that's like what I just am asking God to do today for us as the remnant goes out, splits off, gathers together, cinches together, huddled up in community, that we would remain true and faithful and committed and devoted out there because it wasn't meant to be lived in here. This is where we stack hands and we huddle up only to break up, get on the line and just do some smash mouth like contest with the enemy. Thank you, God, for just a moment to gather together to be inspired by your truth, your word. It's so awesome. Your word's so awesome. I love it. I love your truth that just gets downloaded into our hearts. And so we want to take that, receive that, and then just go spread it and propagate it to the world, God. Strengthen feeble knees, feeble hearts in this place. Fill your servants, fill your sons and your daughters and let them know there is still hope. They can rise up, that they have what it takes, that we're with them. They can be bold and strong and courageous and they can do it. And that we would hear that loud and clear, believe it and go in that spirit today. We love you, God take us and use us. As small as we are, we don't despise the day of the small things. Take the small people that we are and make a huge difference for your kingdom cause. We pray this in your son's name. Everyone said,
Amen. Go get them.